0: like
1: it spooky Hey everybody welcome to I like it spooky horror podcast I'm Brian
2: I'm Clint And before we get to the news, I want to thank Brian, Jason, and Final Summer writer, producer, and director John Eisberg. Uh, He'll be joining us in just a little bit. But I want to thank you guys for rearranging your schedules to accommodate me. I had the opportunity to vend with InkMears.com at Creature Feature Weekend in Pennsylvania at the same time we were originally scheduled to record this episode. So thank you, gentlemen. I mean, although my wallet doesn't appreciate it, uh, I most certainly do. And uh, also, you won't be hearing Jason soothing voice this go-around as he is out sick. Uh, Brian, how about you lead us into the news?
1: Well, we got some exciting news this episode. Looks like we're getting a haunt sequel. It's officially in the works. Um, The Iowa boys, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, are bringing the masked killers back to the haunted house. Haven't really looked much into it. They have a movie out right now, 65, that is a dinosaur science fiction thing that I'm thinking about taking Finley to see. I have to check with a couple friends, see what the, the movie's like, gore and scares and stuff. She loves dinosaurs. Oh, well, let me look here. Just says it's in the works. No word on whether they will return to direct the follow-up. The important thing appears to be that it's happening. It's all i got. Not much, really, on that one. Sounds spooky.
2: I'll have to watch that movie again. Again, I think I've seen it once, but I don't remember how it ended. I know a lot of people are going to be excited for the sequel. It's starting to hit the cosplay world. You got Trick or Treat Studios getting ready to release the the action figures, the five-inch action figures. More Haunt. Let's see it.
1: Chuck Ryan cosplay is starting to do one of the figures from Haunt. So, yeah, it's hitting the, the cosplay scene. I'm excited, but if you don't remember, I think everybody that was a killer in the movie died. But they were just masks, so you could bring back the same characters with, you know, the masks on and be different people. That doesn't stop it, because it sounded like it was a ring of haunted houses and people that were doing this, if I remember right from the movie. That'd be fun.
2: That's the beauty of the horror genre, is anybody can come back at any time.
1: And then uh, from our friends at Bloody Disgusting, looks like there's a retro-styled survival horror game, Rewind or Die, arrives April 14th. So just in time for my birthday, our trip to Michigan.
2: I wish we'd had time to play it instead of being at uh, at Motor City Legacy because I saw some some gameplay footage. It looks pretty awesome.
1: We could just set up a table, be like, "Hey, if you buy a if you buy a t shirt, you can play."
2: Yeah, or the, we'll just be playing and
1: we'll set up the sign kind of like a, you know honor system. You know, leave your money here, take a shirt. So it says a publisher Torture Star video is back again with another dirty little slasher with PS1-inspired graphics. Comp 3 Interactives, Rewind or Die, releasing April 14th on stream. Turns the mundane job of a video store clerk on its head with a serial killer lurking in the background. That sounds cool, but... The part that I thought was cool was like, you have to deal with customers and people being assholes and rewinding the tapes. And I hope that's all incorporated, Get into the game. You could be trying to hide from the serial killer and some lady or some guy comes in and is like, this fucking movie didn't work. I want my money. You know what I mean? And you have to deal with the customer and give him a refund or whatever and deal with the killer. That would be fun. It'd
2: be funny too if they have because years and years ago, I used to work at a video store and uh, Saturday morning, the, the guys would always come in while the wives were out shopping and and, um, and I know that because I asked them all the time, like, what are you doing here? Oh, my wife's out shopping. But there was all these guys that would come in Saturday morning and rent porn while their wives were out shopping, which is cool. And I know why you're renting porn, but they'd bring it back like a half hour later. And I'm like, oh, I'd sit there and sanitize the case, you know, touch it with my finger. Like, oh, this is... So that'd be funny if something like that was in the game. But you know, what's uh, the game's obviously directed towards, I don't know, I guess our generation. We're born in 78. So I, I think people in their 40s who grew up with PlayStation 1 and stuff because the gameplay footage looks a lot of fun. Looks like a lot of fun. But I can't imagine today's generation gamer turning that thing on. And after 10 minutes, they're going to go, what the fuck is this slow, weird, clunky, badly animated
1: thing? You would think that, but look at Minecraft. That's true. I mean there's people that still play Minecraft. Minecraft theme birthday parties. My kids are dressing up like characters from Minecraft. What's the other one? Oh, Roblox. That's kind of clunky and kind of weird looking, you know. And they got baseball cards of Roblox and little action figures of Roblox and What do you got for the news, Clint?
2: Let's see here. So, uh, talking about video games, sort of. uh, Resident Evil, Death Island. More Resident Evil stuff. It's another animated movie uh, rated R for bloody violence as reported by Bloody Disgusting. Bloody Disgusting announced last month that the official animated movie, Resident Evil, Death Island, is on its way from Sony. And the film has received an R rating from the MPA this week. It's arriving summer of 2023. um, Directed by Good Luck pronouncing that name. And it's a sequel to Resident Evil Vendetta. DSO agent Leon S. Kennedy is on a mission to rescue Dr. Antonio Taylor after he was kidnapped. However, a mysterious woman blocks his initial pursuit. I don't know if you caught the last animated Resident Evil that was on Netflix. It was pretty good. I mean Resident Evil is Resident Evil, but it managed to uh to still be fun and you know, made you feel like you were playing the game, but great animation, pretty gory, new stories,
1: cool stuff. Better than the regular movies that they had that came out. I was a
2: fan of a couple of them. Um, yeah. It, it gets it dives a little more into the universe than uh, just focusing on, on Alice from the movies there.
1: Yeah. There was a couple the first couple were pretty good, but after a while, what there's like, is there five of them now?
2: I think there was six. I'd have to look
1: it up. Alice was busy.
2: Well, and they got really weird towards the end of the, the film series because, you know, you find out that things were all simulations and it, it, it got really weird.
1: I never got that far.
2: Yeah, it was it was confusing. Maybe just for a slow guy like me. But so another bit of news. Since Jason isn't here, we're gonna pat our news segment with a couple stories. And that is, uh, as of this recording, I just went last night to the theater. I saw Scream Six. It's exclusive that Scream Seven is greenlit and will film later this year. We've received news from our sources that a follow-up Scream 7 has been officially greenlit. The tentative titled Scream 7 is being prepared to shoot this year. Looks like the studio hopes to have the film shot and released as quickly as its predecessor. So, okay, not going to get too much into Scream 6. We might cover that in another episode. It just came out, so a lot of people might not have seen it yet. I don't think, after watching it last night, it didn't necessarily leave itself open for a sequel, in my opinion. But the Scream franchise has proved it doesn't need to leave Itself open for a sequel. It comes out with some fairly sharp writing and creates its own sequel. A conversation I had with my daughters after we watched it last night is: we're a little worried because typically when a horror franchise starts churning out movies every year, movie after movie after movie, year year boom boom boom, they they get watered down, and that's when it starts to seem to go downhill.
1: Yeah, it asked a friend, I was like, did you see Scream 6 yet? And she said, oh yeah, and I was like, what do you think? I said, don't spoil it for me, but what do you think? And she said, it's what you would expect from a movie that's in its sixth movie from the series that's set in New York City. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, it took Friday the 13th eight movies to get to New York, and that's one that I enjoy now as a fun one. Like you said, every year, I don't need to scream every year. Oh, So I
2: will give one spoiler, because this isn't going to really ruin anything, but you just brought up Friday the 13th Part 8. Friday the 13th Part 8 as a cameo on a television in Scream 6, which was kind of neat. It was fun to see because, you know, both of them are in New York, so it was fun. But, you know, so Scream 7, or yeah, the upcoming Scream, the Scream franchise seems to have uh, momentum, and they have figured out uh, a system to just grab cash. I mean, all the collector stuff, they're just going to keep churning out movies. People are clamoring for the popcorn buckets. Uh, I actually got a free movie. It was free, so I had to pay for it, but a movie poster when I went last night. But yeah, so they seem to understand how to make money. Hopefully, they can teach us how to make money. I don't have any money.
1: Do you have any money? I got like 25 cents in my piggy bank.
2: Yeah, how about you tell us why? We are so poor.
1: So let's see, I'm poor this week because... I'm poor every week. I don't know why I said this week. I ordered some records again from Enjoy the Ride Records. So I saw Enjoy the Ride Records. I'd found them because they just released the Haunt soundtrack. And Jason had picked that up. And I was like, I'll look and see what other stuff they got. So I saw they have another subsidiary of Enjoy the Ride Records. I can't think of the name of it. But it's like cartoons, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ren and Stimpy is the one I picked up. So I got Ren and Stimpy. Just got it yesterday. Soundtrack. Got a don't pee on the electric fence.
2: Don't whiz on the
1: electric fence. Oh, log the. Yeah, I was hoping log would be
2: on there. Yeah. Happy, happy, joy,
1: joy. I haven't opened them yet. Hey, Arnold. I picked that one up too. Just fun, like, stuff from, you know, when I was younger. Um, Not really my childhood, but when I was younger. Then I did a, they had, like, a mystery box. It was two vinyls, horror or science fiction themed. You don't know what you get. I got Cube, which is a fun movie, and The Shed. I don't know if you've seen that one. That was a Shudder exclusive.
2: No, that was one I always meant to watch, and I I didn't get a chance to check it out yet.
1: I need to open these two, because I know what color I got on the Ren and Stimpy and the Hey Arnold, but I don't know what color I got on those two. So I have to open them up and take a look at them, see what I got. But those are two pretty good ones for, I mean, they usually are like 25 bucks, so I saved $20, order them that way, and I just got lucky.
2: Well, I tell you what, if, if Jason was on this show, he'd be shocked, because I will fully admit that if I were to have that Ren and Stimpy album, I would open it. It would come out of the plastic because I'd be playing it right now.
1: I think that's about all I got. I got some movies from uh, our friends at Severn Film to take down to the Orpheum and scream, scream, screen.
2: No, I thought I thought that was like pun intended. That was, that was cool.
1: They're like bleeding into our brains. It's working, Cl- the popcorn buckets. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I got next to Ken and I got uh, dead kids to screen at the Orpheum. So I'm just waiting to hear back from them when would be a good time to take the movies down, make sure they look good on the big screen. I even got a copy of Next of Ken from my personal collection from my friend Matt Harding at Severn. I thought I had more stuff here. Hell, I guess not. That's it.
2: I'm excited about that dead Kids screening. And I don't know I don't know why because I've never even seen the film, you know, but again, just uh just to know that it's kind of like a, a passion project of yours and that you were able to uh, you know, with the help of everybody pull it off. The fact that it's going to be, you know, screened in Galesburg where the movie was set to take place is really cool. So, yeah, I'm excited, excited to see that.
1: I've been going around work and be like, yeah, I'm showing this. Uh, We're showing a movie at uh, Dorfium in October. Don't forget. Everybody's like, what? And I pull up the trailer and the first couple seconds, the small town of Galesburg where nothing ever happens. And they're like, what? No one knows about this movie. There's maybe a handful of people in town that know about it.
2: I'm hoping you get a big turnout, and I'm excited to talk more about it and uh, excited to uh, to hear how it goes later this year. So why are you poor, Clint? You know, again, Jason picked a really good episode to not be on because I'm going to call him out. Jason, it's March, and guess what? I still don't have my Stevie Wayne action figure from Sacred Bones. When did you buy that thing? A while ago. So again, I mean, it's not why I'm directly poor as we speak. They said it'd be March and oh, it was December and then it was March. And now it's uh, it's May, I think. So I still don't have that to add to my collection. A little bummed out about that.
1: You think they're having trouble with their 3D printers? Uh,
2: <laughs> that's funny. I know I've had problems with mine. So yeah, maybe they are. Something tells me though that they're a little little more advanced than, than me.
1: As I was going to say, maybe shoot them a text message and be like, go to this website. And if you really need help, I'll come. And But I get my figure first.
2: Exactly. I've read some troubleshooting guides. So yeah, I haven't really spent a whole lot of money uh, this week. I did. um, Well, actually I haven't yet. I tried to, but I was having issues with their website, but I went to trick or treat studio.com. They've got a lot of the action figures, like we talked about earlier, the the haunt action figures, but they've got a, a five inch art, the clown. From Terror Fire action figure. Um, and it's only like 20 bucks. People are starting to get it who have pre ordered it, and it's the packaging is phenomenal. And it's the old school toy where I wouldn't pull them out, but if you pull them out and spray them with water and get it cold, then like red blood stains show up in different spots. Uh, maybe I'll get two just so I can play with that. Because at 20 bucks, you can't beat it. No, other than that, though, um, again, as of this recording, this one's recorded recorded a while before it's going to come out. So, um, But I've just been spending money on... Hotel room, creature feature weekend became available for me to vend at. So, got the hotel room, got the table, you know, banging out the toys and stuff. Since it was last minute, I hadn't had everything really prepared. I've kind of been taking my time getting ready for Legacy. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh shit. So, spent some money on getting components for toys and some extra t shirts and. Ran uh, our friend, Jim Crut, the helicopter zombie from the original Dawn of the Dead is going to be there. Reached out to Jim. I said, hey, I got a surprise for you, but I need to know what size shirt you wear. Of course, he's a, a big, tall guy. So I had to order a special big, tall shirt. So a little money went out for that. Going to gift him a shirt. Yeah, that's about where my money's gone.
1: Sounds like you're doing better than me. You're spending money to make money. I'm just spending money.
2: Exactly. I tell you what, those collectibles are starting to come out. I'm gonna be poor here soon, I know it, because like uh whether other people are interested or not, NECA's got their holathon going on with again all this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff, whatever. I mean, if their audience likes that, you know, that that's cool. I'm not a fan. The Monsters figures are starting to come out. The the Herman standalone is out. So there's some stuff like that NECA's coming out with. Jason got a hold of me and saw that someone was at a target and took a picture of a price tag on a shelf and it was for the NECA. From the thing, the dog monster, where the alien comes out of the dog, which uh, Nekara previewed that, I think, last year. So we're like, oh, is this, this going to be hitting shelves soon? We don't know. And there's a lot of cool stuff coming out where my money is going to be going
1: soon. But Well, and, you know, we'll be buying the Scream 7 uh, hypnosis drink, you know, for next movie screening or something crazy like that.
2: Oh, to, like, knock us out so we don't realize how watered down the story may become?
1: Well, and just to take our money. And make us sleep long enough so they can release another movie. Yeah, exactly. You'll, be like, you'll wake up like ten years, and they'll be like, "Scream 18 goes to the Quad Cities." You <laughs> thought it was scary in New York. <laughs> That's funny. Hey,
2: I'll, I'll tell you this again, and this isn't a spoiler, but about Scream Six. Uh, every Scream movie has that. Every every entry is very self aware of what's going on in the film industry at that time, and they always have that scene where everybody's sitting discussing like the rules and how they've changed. And they did it again last. Night in Scream 6, and I thought it was just as great as all the other movies. uh, Very self-aware of the times and the current trends. Uh, So I think we need to be self-aware and realize that since we are going to be spending a lot more money in the coming months with conventions and new uh, collectible releases, we need to take it to a sponsor and get some cash. You like blood? You like scary stuff? You like gumballs? Get on over to Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium where their selection of horror and pop culture themed toy, candy and gumball machines are as big as their name. You can find Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium on Facebook and Instagram. Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium will be on hand at Motor City Legacy in Detroit, Michigan April 14th through the 16th. Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium Will also be featured at other horror and pop culture conventions around the country. Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium. We dare you to say it ten times real fast. <laughs> So now that we've heard from this episode's sponsor, we are joined in the spooky studio by award-winning writer, producer, and director, John Eisberg.
0: Hey, how you doing?
2: Doing good, John. Hey, uh, thanks again for rearranging your schedule to accommodate this recording. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. A lot of people are going to know you from 2017's Daniel or the uh, the four-episode Magnetic Fields Project from 2019. But I'm sure that everyone knows you from your current film, Final Summer, which is what we're here to talk about. Uh, Because you, my friend, are
0: a social media networking uh, and promotion workhorse. (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah it's you got to do it you know it's kind of crazy like it kind of started back with um when we were doing the kickstarter for the film uh, we had these kind of equity investors that basically tried to to rip off the film and so we had to kind of make it without their money yeah i was like all right you know we got like three days we've yeah so i was just like going crazy trying to get get it out there but um yeah i don't know it's it's funny to to think about how social media has become such a thing with film
2: I I was talking with a a fellow filmmaker, a friend of mine the other day, and we were discussing social media. I was like, you know, unfortunately, because if it wasn't for all the stuff I do, the podcasting and, and, you know, the vending and, you know, all that stuff, I don't think I'd even be on social media. But, you know, in today's world, like you say, you have to just stay constant to stay relevant because the attention span, I think, is shrunk to like eight seconds now or something.
0: Well, it's interesting. Um, You know, like I went to AFM, like American Film Markets back in November, you know, to meet with distributors and talk about our film. Just the biggest thing that I kind of got from them, like I, ex- I even like sat down with like my kind of producer's rep and he was just scrolling through the social media accounts of films and he could predict which ones would be good and which ones would totally fail. And and so it was kind of wild. But then you go in and you're listening to, I mean, some of it is kind of frustrating because I feel like I'm still kind of the old school. I love Sam Raimi's Evil Dead and I love cult films where, you know, like it takes years for them to catch on sometimes, you know, we're and, and, and these distributors are just talking about like oh this actor has a hundred grand you know they're almost not even talking about actors they're all just talking about like oh these influencers and we got to get an influencer in our movie and it just seems kind of like backwards to me but it's it's kind of the necessary evil too because you're you're competing especially as like a low budget or a no budget <laughs> indie film you're competing against you know just massive marketing campaigns and so it's it's tough but i think it's you kind of have to do it you know but i'm kind of i'm, I'm at the same time like really grateful for people who uh, reach. Out and talk to us about the film or hey I saw this film or hey when can I see it again or is it a you know that's really cool to me because I just like talking about film all day long so just to kind of go into a horror con and you know like we were talking and stuff it's just it's just fun to talk
2: well and you uh, you're, you're very personable John you definitely have the gift again. so I met you at a uh, Scarefest in Kentucky last October and you uh wandered over to my table I think it was my my stuff candle I can't remember but there was something you walked <laughs> up and zoned on my god you and I started talking and And uh, the woman who was with you, uh, I I don't remember her name, but uh, I... I think she kind of was like, okay, well, you two shut up so we can move on. And we just kept talking and talking and talking.
0: Yeah, that's my wife, Jen. She's been kind of like my sounding board for the film and every last idea that pops out of my head for the last couple of years. And so So she's probably the biggest part of this film. (laughs) No, it's just great to have like a, a, you know, to go to like someone like her. I think that some of the personal story to the film is like I was with someone who was basically like a, you know, sociopath, like insanely abusive person who I kind of based a lot of the film on, or not on them specifically, but a lot of like the things that I kind of experienced going through that. And I just think like I would never be here if that kind of a person is in my life, but to have someone like really supportive, you know, it's kind of incredible. So I think like she is just a, just my wife, Jen, is just as much a part of this movie as everybody who worked on it. Yeah, but she's awesome. But yeah, sometimes she'll be like, all right, can we just not talk about slasher movies (laughs) for... like the other day, can we just have a normal conversation? Yeah, because the other day, like I've got like a big screen projector that I kind of made in my basement. Like I I had this whole projector and then I bought this $100 screen on eBay and then I just I went to Walmart and I got these like $15 black rugs and I started building this like theater in my basement with some old school theater chairs. And so the other night we were watching a movie. I'm like, yeah, let's throw on uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. So... I mean, it's fun, but you know, she's like, "All right, you know." Anyway, it was a good time.
2: You actually a- answered one of our questions because uh, we we were curious what sparked Final Summer. I didn't know if it was uh, a personal connection, a story you always wanted to get out, or sometimes you know, filmmakers will stumble across a location and go, "Hey, this location's great. Let's build a story around that." So it, it came it came from kind of a personal uh, situation. Then,
0: yeah, I don't recommend it. <laughs> You know, it was kind of, t- I mean, PTSD is tough, you know, but well, I, I grew up and I love, I love slasher films. I love horror a lot. Definitely like a lot of the summer camp slashers and I was doing, um, I was I was teaching middle school at the time. Uh, I taught like kids with an emotional disabilities in middle school, like sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And uh, you know, like I had my summers off, and there was a film that came to town, two thousand and fourteen, uh, called "Consume," that I just interned on, and I loved it. And I just wanted to do more of that. Like when I was in high school, I used to make movies with my friends. Like one of them had like a like an old video camera, and so. Then we would make movies for class. I went to film school and dropped out. You know, I just, I don't know. Most of my 20s, I was kind of a mess.
2: Right there with you. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) And so later on, it just kind of, when that film came to town, I think everything kind of clicked. Because I had done music for a long time, but I always felt like music was... You go up on stage; it's kind of fake in a way. You, you know, it's like there's that whole like, "Ooh, they're you know rock stars," or we were not at all. But, uh, but I think it just it was a bit more of an ego driven thing. And I think I always love music, but I think like film is something that. My cousin, um, she was like a longtime uh, commercial director on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. And I was, I would grow up and listen to stories about her working with, Oh, it was like William Friedkin was actually like directing industrial films for her company in like the 60s or whatever. So hearing about this stuff, wow, because this, you know, I heard, you know, early on, it's like, ooh, The Exorcist. And wow, there was this interesting family connection to that. And then I met some other guys through the ASC, this guy, uh, Charlie Lieberman, who shot um, Henry Portrait of Serial Killer. And it was cool talking with him because he talked about how Chicago is such a small scene, so everybody knew each other. And so it just felt like there were these seeds that were there. And then finally, when that movie came, I was just hooked. Everything like every all this is basically like a recreation of this uh studio I worked at uh called Shatterglass. <laughs> you know, they had like a like an equipment cage and, and so I just over time I pieced together my own of all the stuff I would get from you know saving up. No, I just love film and um and it, it really like the one of the big reasons we even made this movie was I started doing this uh workshop in the back of the studio and just like a lot of college and non traditional and high school students would come in and it was just I just did it for free. Over like four Four years or so, we just started to train and grow as a crew, and then films would come to town, and we would go and work on them. Like we worked on like a Netflix documentary called Rising Phoenix. It's kind of wild because this guy like pulled a gun on us while we were filming. (laughs) Where were you filming at? we were in far- this is funny so we were in farmer city uh in illinois and it was like the last literally like the last shot of the day of course you know and so it's all the, the documentary is all about the paralympics and this uh paralympic athlete tatiana mcfadden and she's really awesome i worked with her a couple times and anyway we were just doing this one last shot where she, we were. she was going across this motel like the front of it left to right and then we moved over to like where the we could get kind of get her coming this towards camera we were just set up kind of near the motel and this door opens up and this guy walks out and he's kind of like hey what the heck's going on here and he's it's gonna you know it was like eight o'clock it wasn't like late you know yelling and swearing at us so anyway this is such a random story sorry <laughs> but anyway he came he went back into his room and they came out with a gun this time i was like yeah okay <laughs> that's a wrap yeah yeah and i was like set i was like second ac on the film so i was set in camera and i look up and like that gun's like just kind of in front of my face but the, but the time he came out with the gun he wasn't saying anything he was just like looking kind of nervous i'm like yeah okay and so just you can see like all of our crew just like go like that <laughs> all at once thankfully nothing happened it's just stuff like that that is like it's when you survive it it's kind of fun you know sorry for the random story there but uh
2: no, those, those are great. That was really random. Well, no, it's cool because I mean, something, something I think it's interesting is you're answering the question for me again, but th- through following you on social media and talking with you a few times, you seem to really have a, a, a technical background. I mean, it can be seen with all the equipment behind you. And a lot of your social media posts that I've seen about Final Summer are, this is how we... Experimented with this lighting effect, or I use this camera, um, so it really shows that you you kind of have like a, a technical prowess that's integrated into this film, which shows because I tell you what, one of the things I enjoyed most about Final Summer was uh, the cinematography, the lighting, absolutely superb.
0: Oh, thanks. Probably my biggest passion is cinematography, and you know it, the great thing about cinematography is, it's all about learning all the time. So you're constantly learning and there's so many resources available through like YouTube or uh, there's this website called Team Deacons with Roger Deacons and then there's the Team Deacons podcast. And so there's all these great, uh, there's like a Wandering DP YouTube channel, all these kinds of like resources. And that was the thing with our workshop was we would do like every time I bought some new piece of gear like an LED light or I got some gels let's let's gel up some shots and we'll work with color or uh, I love to haze thing. So we would haze everything, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, the thing with haze is like, you gotta fan it out. So you get those nice beams of light as opposed to where you just see like, you know, it looks like someone's chain smoke just stuff like that. And then going to like night forest exterior, that's really challenging. And we were working with the Green Crew, so I tried to learn as much as I could. And um, and even like I work on other films too, like a, work, a movie that's actually coming out today at South by Southwest is premiering tonight called Brooklyn 45. And my friend Rob is uh, uh, Rob Stern is the DP on that. He was a DP on a couple other movies for Shudder, Revealer, and then I, I think he worked. we met on a movie called Slice, which was like this A24 movie with Chance the Rapper, which is probably some of the most insane stories I've ever heard i <laughs> behind the scenes and stuff but it's just uh, no I love the technical side and I think that, again that goes back to you know when you're on a set you know you're um, the two resource, the w- most valuable resource is time you never have money so the, you know so it's like if you, if you kind of understand some of the the mechanics of it it really helps you like when we shot the we shot the opening sequence for the film it was supposed to be during the summer but it was heavily in the COVID time and so we couldn't have kids around so I had to cut the first 10 pages of the script because it was all like Lexi and this other guy walking through the forest with all the kids. And then you would see what would happen to this one kid. And so that was going to make sense. But we, I just couldn't... Because like if anyone got sick, that we would have never recovered and made the film. So we just had to kind of isolate our bubble. So when we shot the opening sequence, it was like in February, it was 10 degrees out. <laughs> it was so cold. And I just remember you know we had like we were hustling to get it done you know and then it was like when we were by that fire it was great because all the actors were just warm and then we had to go into the forest and we were freezing our butt off you know it sucked and i remember at one point we had to be done in like five minutes and we still had to go do the reverse you know of of like seeing the ki- the guy in the in the ground and so we just ended up cheating all that stuff so it's kind of like those things where like as a as an editor as a filmmaker as a cinematographer when you kind of know the cheats you know it helps save time you get out you're Your crew is happy.
2: I would have never known that it was shot in February. Like I didn't, I didn't see breath. You know, you could tell it was, chilly out but i didn't think it was february
0: oh my god it was 10 degrees it sucked and the the thing that i was so i was kind of annoyed because the day before it had snowed and i was like oh this is awesome because i was thinking you know blood on the snow that would look badass so like when when you see the flashlight go to the body i wanted him to see like blood on the ground first and then just like that you know like the trail towards the and then you know like ah you know kind of thing I thought that'd be kind of awesome, but then all the snow went away. And I was like, how does snow melt in 10 degrees? (laughs) I I didn't, I was so, it was annoying. I want to go back to something and then I'll get off the
2: social media kick, but something you said a a few minutes ago, you said that uh, the one guy could predict based off social media accounts, what films, I'm just curious, do you know, were were those predictions based off how much that filmmaker, what their social media footprint was or just the quality of the the visuals they were putting out?
0: Uh, One was Steve. Steven Spielberg's Fablemans. (laughs) <laughs> he's like, I know this is not going to do as well because look at the social media on it. And I love it. I think that's a great movie, but I was like, okay, you know, and I think that's an interesting. So this is the thing, and this is what I was talking to d- some of the distributors about because when I went to AFM, the thing was like, it's it's kind of frustrating because I feel like they don't, you know, because everybody will always say to you when you're making a horror film, this is like, oh, there's nobody in it because the paradox of making your first horror film is you probably can't afford anybody and you probably can't get anybody because no one's going to take a chance on you because they're going to be like, who are you? You're just some knucklehead who's. You're in Illinois. Like, you know, I'm not going to waste my time with that. And so no one's going to come out. And so when you go to try to look for distribution, they're just going to. Be like, well, there's nobody in your film? Or oh, you need you just one more person or whatever. And so that's where I think like social media is kind of a boost or just a, a way for indie filmmakers to kind of get past that hurdle a little bit. Because the thing the thing that was craziest was I went to AFM and there was one distributor there. I won't give their name, but I have literally like worked on films that were theirs, and my friends had put out films on their label. And I walked in like, hey, how you doing? Oh, I worked on that film and that. Oh, you know, I got the here's my film. You know, da 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 da. And they just looked at me like I was nuts. Like, who is this total idiot? Like, this guy's obviously crazy. Just ignore him and walk away. And so, but I I submitted my film to them and they just blew me off. And then once we landed on TikTok and we had like, our trailer went like viral twice. And we went, yeah, I launched a TikTok trailer. I launched a TikTok account just as a gag. I'm like, I'm like some Gen X dude. Like, what am I going to do on TikTok? That's all like 20. So I'm like, they're going to be like, who's this old guy? You know, I, I remember like saying like lit the first day and I was like, oh my God, what is wrong with? me (laughs) the trailer just took off and then like I think we had like a hundred thousand views in like two days and then like two weeks later that same distributor like emailed me like hey we're you know are you looking for world I'm like really like now you guys are coming (laughs) because we had already signed distribution and I was like great So I think that's the thing. I think for people who are horror filmmakers in your audience is, yeah, really, that's the thing that's going to get your film. The things that I was told is like two things. It's like you either have some names in your uh, in your film, which is probably not going to happen, or you have some sort of controversy. So like with Terrifier two, it's like you have all that gore. I'm like totally giving all the secrets right now, but... <laughs> or like, or like Skinnerink. That's where like it's so polarizing that people talk about it, you know. And so to me, I'm like, that's genius, you know. And so I wish people, you know, it's like Winnie the Pooh. But people are talking about it. And so I think that's the thing. It's I think the thing that I appreciate about a movie like Terrifier 2 or Skin and Marink, it's obviously made with love for film, you know. And it's not necessarily something that is just trying to just get just like a gimmick, you know, where I feel like Winnie the Pooh is like, it's kind of a gimmick. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like the same kind of love and artistry that I do from like Terrifier 2 or not to not to start up some stuff with somebody I've never met, but... <laughs> But come on, Winnie the Pooh. Like I don't want to. That's not cool. Like I, I guess I grew up on like the '80s movies and the '80s slashers. To me, had, had an element of cool to it. You know, like Jason is cool. Michael Myers looks cool. Freddy Krueger, when he's not kind of talking all the time, is kind of cool. I could ramble about this for
2: So Brian, you know, I think Brian and uh, Jason and I, we've kind of uh, we feel we joke about we alienate our audience. And I think the only people left were the Winnie <laughs> the Pooh audience. And John, I just blew that for us. So. We are officially just talking for ourselves. Dang, the piglet demographic. <laughs> well, you're, you're talking about names, and I'm kind of jumping ahead. I'll get to it in a second, but you actually had uh, a, a name and, and sort of a couple names attached to your film. You had, in my opinion, it the, the actors that you had on there. I don't feel anybody, as if you were... I don't feel anybody was amateur. I mean, those were all, you know, maybe not big name celebrity actors, but that wasn't an amateur cast, was it?
0: Everybody except for, uh, so Bishop Stevens, who played uh, one of the sheriffs, and then Tom Matthews. And then uh, this guy, Carl Bailey, he kind of came at the very end to replace another um, uh, guy. He's been in a lot of stuff, but other than that, I think everybody else was—it was their first time uh, on a feature film. So, because we're, we weren't in, in a, a like a major film city, so we weren't Chicago, Atlanta, L.A., or New York, and so we had to kind of—I had to think outside the box. And so I looked at the films like um, Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it kind of as a case study for how to do our film. And one of the things Toby did was he went to uh, UT Austin to the theater department and found a lot of actors from the from the theater program at UT Austin and cast them in Texas Chainsaw. And so that was kind of what I did. And it was funny because like... um this guy Aaron Munoz, who he teaches acting for camera at University of Illinois, but he was on uh, Stranger Things. He played Barb's dad in season two, and so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like I wanted to, to one, I wanted to meet him, but two, talk to him and see like who would he recommend from his his students that were graduating because they're going to go off and you know work in other films and stuff, and they're going to have a little bit of training too. And so so that's kind of how I got a lot of the principal cast. And then it was cool too because the way the story works is that they. It's the end of summer, you know, versus like a lot of the Friday movies and summer camp movies. It's like the beginning, they're meeting each other. They don't really know each other. So they're just kind of hooking up. And I felt like I wanted to have friends who have been together all summer who are kind of tired or annoyed you know, but they have that shared history. And so when, when things happen, it's like, they're kind of forced into a position where they have to save their friend. They have, you know, even though everything is telling them like, I'm not the hero, you know, <laughs> I have to go because no one else is going to go. And so I thought that, that to me was like more interesting. And so, yeah. So then I just, I've met a lot of the cast and then some, a lot of them were actually like, in just are also local actors too. And it was kind of one of those things where I, I would look at I kind of cast a lot to who the person already was. So Miles Valentine, who plays Mario, or this guy Rico, who plays Moose, I kind of felt like that's who they were. And so we kind of and then it was just a lot of like kind of moving pieces around. And it's just kind of funny how like when you see it on the screen, like you'll see people together but you put four people in front of a camera and you kind of move them around. And then all of a sudden there, it's kind of like you just get a sense of, Oh, these people are friends or something. You know, like when I did that, that web that streaming series for U of I, for the physics program, magnetic fields, it was kind of like a Goonies esque kind of thing. And I remember I had uh, like 20 kids came out and I would just, I put like my camera on like my steady cam rig and we would just walk back and forth while they would just like talk to each other, just, just walking together. And I'd swap kids out. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, there you are, you know. So it's kind of interesting how, how just seeing on camera it just makes sense in a way that like you know sometimes just headshots don't really do it justice it's like you need that chemistry that's sometimes not even uh tangible you know
2: chemistry is the key word <clears throat> that's why i didn't seem to me that anybody was amateur because they all you you believe that they knew each other they all interacted they they coexisted on the screen really well nothing was clunky or
0: awkward yeah i just watched like a uh, nightmare on up street three the other night and i've seen it a b- bunch but i don't think i ever really watched it as close and i was impressed by how you know you know the, the characters like the kids the teens and the the uh, center they really feel like friends and i thought that was really cool again going back to like ensemble is difficult and that's i think the thing that sets apart like good horror films is the cast is believable versus like how many times you you can't wait for somebody to die you know <laughs> or like some of these friday 13th i, I get to then i'm like who is that what is their name and it's like literally the final girl you know
2: So, and uh, above and beyond your cast, you you dropped one of the names, but again, you you had, well, you had a name, you had Tom Matthews attached to this, so Tom Matthews is is a part of this project, but you also had... Tom Atkins sort of like does Tom know that he was a part of this yeah film? yeah
0: oh yeah and I had I paid for his uh, <laughs> contribution it was it was kind of one of those things where it was uh, I, I love Easter eggs and horror movies and anytime you can throw an Easter egg is kind of great so there was one other Easter egg we were gonna we were gonna have Adrienne Barbeau in the film as well and I thought that was fun to throw back to the fog like John Carpenter's The Fog because they're both in that one but I, somehow the whole thing got lost in the email shuffle of pre-production because she was also gonna there was gonna be an insert shot of like Adrian Barbeau in a picture frame like in the office and that that was gonna be another subtle thing. No, Tom Atkins, I always kind of love him you know <laughs> He's just kind of like great horror icon you know and so I reached out to his agents and I said hey da 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 da. And so they agreed to like a kind of a nominal fee and like a producer credit thing on the film. And so that was cool. I mean, it was just kind of, I've got like the painting of uh, him in my basement. It's pretty awesome.
2: (laughs) It was fun. It was fun as a viewer. I was watching it with, uh, watching Final Summer with my my youngest and she's 12. She's pretty well versed in horror, but still we're sitting there watching it. And then that scene where that picture's, and I'm like, (gasps) and she's like looking at me like what? I was like, it's Tom Atkins. He's up on the wall. Tom Atkins.
0: Yeah, for some reason, our IMDb kind of got people excited. I'm like, hey, he's not really in the film, <laughs> but it was it was COVID, and he was much older, so I didn't want to I didn't want to like you know risk something happening to him and then be like the guy who you know so. But it was, it was nice of him to, to do it because I, I love those Easter eggs, you know, in films. Where you-
2: so, I mean, uh, b- between your um, well-versed acting staff, between the names you had, between your technical background, uh, and you've been traveling the convention, the film circuit showing final summer. I mean, again, it's no surprise you've been racking up the awards, you know, from the opening of the film throughout Exceptional Lighting, the great cinematography. It was front and center for me. You've been just amassing these awards from all these conventions. Have these all been like best film or is there other categories? Are they
0: varied? Yeah, we got nominated for... I think with Scarefest, we won Best of Horror. And then um, at Days of the Dead, uh, Atlanta, we won Best Cinematography. And then I know for Horror Hound, I think we're up for Judge's Choice, Best Feature, Best Special Effects, and Best Production Design, which was kind of funny because there's not really any production design. (laughs) It was was all the camp, you know? I mean, it was all... (laughs) So maybe it was a good choice of location, Best Location or something. No, it's been great. I think, uh, to me, it's more great to just meet everybody. I think that's kind of more... valuable to me is just you know just meeting all the other filmmakers and meeting fellow horror fans because i feel like you know it, the, that's the thing i love about film is you can have you can build a community around it and so meeting all of you guys and meeting the other filmmakers you you get to tell swap war stories you know from like the terrible days on set and <laughs> everything that went wrong and you know and i think that's probably the most important thing for me i think we're going to have a announcement tomorrow uh, there's a big announcement early this week that's coming out in Fangoria of another film festival that we're going to be at. So that's really exciting. So yeah, so that's coming. And then I know we're going to be, it's not announced yet, but um, there's a film and festival in South Carolina that's coming in May. So I think we've got about 15, 15 more film festivals that we're kind of into, kind of between now and, and, and Halloween, basically. I think uh, we're planning to probably just hit uh, streaming this summer. This has been, it's been kind of an incredible ride to be here. So it's kind of, can't believe we're actually here, you know? <laughs>
2: Well, and you're starting to uh, get some interest from the cosplay world. I was talking to a cosplay buddy of mine last, last night because I had posted, hey, I want a special screening to Final Summer. And he says, hey, what did you think of the movie? And then um, he started, he's uh, been following you on social media. He's curious to see it. Uh, he's a pro cosplayer, and he's interested. I think in, in cosplaying the killer.
0: Oh, that'd be awesome! It's it's a real easy costume, <laughs> and the mask is is very affordable. <laughs> it's like a it's like a fifteen dollar mask on Amazon, actually. the The company was really cool. I talked to them about, you know, be awesome is we should get this in the spirit of Halloween, you know, because it's like a cool, you know. So we'll see if the if the film does well. But um, yeah, the, it's it's all a pretty affordable costume. It's um, basically I took I was in the Army National Guard, and so I took um, my old uh, field jacket and I just ripped it up with a razor. And then we got this, this mask that I found through this company called Faux Real. And it's uh, like a skull mask. But I always love, like, that was the thing that was the funniest thing to me about, like, with going to the killer look is, like, I love the 80s horror film villains, you know. So, and, and there it, it was just always very simple, simple and iconic. So you, when you look at, like, Michael Myers, the first movie mask, because then you look at the later ones that look like just dog, cra- you know, like the... <laughs> That one, there's like one shot where the guy looks like John Cusack almost, you know, like from like, like high fidelity, you know, he's like, when he's looking at Jamie Lee Curtis and... (laughs) It's like the worst mask. But I just think uh, there's just something that's beautiful about the simplicity of it. And and I kind of, I remember thinking like, oh, I want to go for like a skull mask because that's a very iconic kind of design. But it was it was funny how hard it was to find a basic skull mask. You know, there's like a million of them, but they all are so corny and the latex ones never fit well. And I think that was just something about a, a tight fitting mask that seemed really cool to me where you could feel like the actor under it.
2: And that's what I told him. I said, it's pretty simple. I was like, dark pat- pants, camo jacket, and kind of this like thin material skull ski mask type thing. But the one thing, so th- this particular cosplayer, he likes to, um, a couple of them that we know, friends of the show, they like to um, really hone in on the mannerisms of the character they're playing. And, uh, but I was, as I'm talking with him, I'm thinking, you're going to have to watch the film, though, because one of the things that stuck out to me about the killer was he was very poised. And, um, his movements, especially like, you know, when he's swinging the axe and his kills and stuff, he would almost linger for a while. Like, if he brought it up, he'd slam his axe down and then bring it up and he'd sit there. And I didn't know if that was your direction or the actor's inner dialogue on this, you know, how how this killer should be, but it was very poised, almost like a dancer.
0: Actually, so Luzzo does have a dance background. Um, They were were kind of part of uh, the U of I um, drama department too. And uh, yeah, they had a, a dance background. We talked a lot about the psychology of the killer because that was the one thing that I kind of wanted to bring to the villains in my film or the villain in my film was um, my experience. So and I experienced a lot of gaslighting, a lot of triangulation, lots of like like insane props in, in insane stories, you know, where, where I would have all of these things kind of as parts of these lies, these stories that weren't real, you know, so like there would be like pieces of paper or photos. or I mean, it was just kind of crazy. The stuff I went through was so insane. And so that's what made me feel like with our our villain, I want it to be very real to the, what the psychology of a psychopath is like and how much manipulation is going on behind the scenes and triangulation. And, and also, ultimately, understanding that everybody has a purpose for this person, for the villain, regardless if it's good or bad. <laughs> you know? And so, and you have utility for them until you don't. You know, which is why that scene at the end, to me it was like, Well, this is exactly what would happen, you know. And and, and so then to go to the, the masked killer, I'm like, Well, there's a narcissist there. And so they, they're getting off on the sense of power and control. And the and, and I think it's kind of a with narcissism, I think that they kind of play into just the movement and everything. And so I wanted them to be able to scare the crap out of the counselors, you know, because in a lot of like, in, you know, like Jason takes Manhattan, you know, that dude's going up against Jason, fighting him for like 10 minutes and he gets tired and he gets his head knocked off. <laughs> I wanted the killer to scare them so bad to where the, even though like you have someone like Moose, who's a pretty big dude, he's like, nope, like it's, he's not even entertaining the thought of fighting back. He's just so scared to death of what's happening, because that was the other thing I thought was like, what if kind of the premise of the film is like, what if you were really in a slasher film? It versus like what you think you would do if you're really in a slasher film <laughs> you know and so that's what i wanted it to you know and so then those moments where like he slams the axe into the person's head and he's lingering in that moment it's just to it's kind of getting off on that as a, the killer but then also terrifying everybody who's watching it. so i remember one review is like he just came out of nowhere and he's killing everybody in the you are like that's if you saw that with like eight of your friends you'd be scared to death you wouldn't be like let's get him you'd be like holy
2: that was actually one of my favorite scenes my, my favorite scene with the killer was um, where he takes out the, the short haired brunette they were outside the building and it was just the way it was lit but You you accomplished a lot of um, a lot of great silhouettes a lot of like cool screen grabs of the killer poised this way or that way with the lighting and the fog and everything it was fantastic but one of my favorite scenes was and because I've never really seen anything like this in, in a film like this yet was where the killer um, he comes just out of, out of nowhere I think it's the scene you're talking about across the field and then he just stands there and you know the, the cast of counselors it's nighttime, and they're just all kind of and everybody's just staring at each other it, it goes on for a little bit to the point where it almost gets awkward and I was like that, that's kind of cool they don't know what he's going to do
0: yeah I I saw- that was so, to me, it was, it was kind of funny. Because I always love like when um, when the film kind of shows the audience like what the ca- the characters don't realize, you know. And so I thought it'd be fun if like they think that it's still this one character coming up, you know, to them. And I thought it'd be kind of hilarious if like Mario's like, "What? Like, man, screw this!" And so he grabs the mask to kind of mock the guy. And he's walking out there like, "Ooh," you know. And to me, it's like it's kind of it's just a funny scene that instantly turns into like scares, which I kind of love. Where you you kind of make the audience laugh, but at the same time, they're like, uh, very, uh, you know... you know just like what you know and then he walks away and then so i kind of love those those building the tension moments you know where you know i mean like i, I go back to even like friday 13th 5 or whatever where so much of the, the there's no tension at all it's basically every kill scene is like the character looks up you see the axe and then you know and you don't even see it coming into someone's head it's just like ah, you know and then that's it and so i feel like it's fun to build that tension a bit more and you know and then to go to the that the fight sequence between the killer And Ronnie, we, I, yeah, that was really, that was cool. And, the thing that was helpful with the mask is because Luzzo was also our fight coordinator. You know, they could basically be under the mask going one and two and three and four and five. So he'd be, they would be calling out the beats of the fight and so they were working together on it. And so that was really cool. And I think we spent, oh man, I probably edited that sequence, I don't know, a hundred times or something <laughs> to get the rhythm right and everything. And, but it was, it was great. Yeah, it was a good sequence.
2: And I mean, as far as the, the character in the movie, she gave the killer a, probably the, the character that gave him the run or her, the killer, uh, the, the most run for their money.
0: Yeah, because I, th- I think I wanted to show, because part of it to me was I wanted to show, like, you know, some pretty strong female characters in the film versus in some of the 80s films, they're just kind of like weeping and then they get the axe and then that's it, you know? And so I wanted them to be fighting because I feel like that's how I felt kind of getting out of like my situation was that i you know like you never got the best of me kind of thing even when you're trying to destroy and so i wanted to have these characters who are even though they're like fighting to the very last breath it's like they're they're not like falling and tripping over their feet in the forest you know
2: (laughs) well in this movie this movie set in 1991 we were all a little edgy back then so
0: oh yeah yeah (laughs) well it's funny because like the thing the thing about 91 i I really like was there's so much it was kind of like that turning point you know like it's like when i think like when the 90s really hit because you because the 80s were like leading up like you had the 80s music the 80s styles you had hair metal coming out but like in 91 you had like guns and roses use your illusion one and two you had the metallica black album you had red hot chili peppers blood sugar sex magic you had nirvana's *Nevermind*. so it was just a massive massive year for kind of a culture shift and so so it's kind of even like in the in the film like in the prologue that's set in 86 i kind of lean more into those like 80s slasher cliches you know like the drinking in the beers and there's like a you know like the corniness of it but then as the 90s hit we're kind of getting into that kind of grunge alternative like angsty era you know and so I thought that was kind of fun to have a bit of a contrast so I hope I'm not talking to you guys zero <laughs> about
2: this Oh no we love it okay <laughs> that's what that's what we're here for man. we want to we dive in and, and figure out the inner workings of this J- just a couple more shots because again i really enjoyed the technical uh, prowess that, that you brought to this film but uh, one of the shots i loved you could tell throughout the film that you were experimenting and having fun um but one of the one of the shots i loved is when uh the, the one counselor I'm sorry, i don't remember everybody's name i've only seen it once so far but where he trips and rolls into the tree and knocks himself out and it wasn't just like a static you know established frame shot of this kid rolling like you the camera rolled and then you it hit the tree and you had the white the white flash and i loved how you did that
0: oh thanks yeah no it's fun because i i love films when like because to me like uh, watching a film is a is a physical sensation as much as as anything else and so when you can kind of do those it's kind of like how do you trick your audience into experiencing the thing you know and so that was the thing like i went to the asc uh, this like work week long like workshop uh, back in like 2019 and, and it was great because I met all these other um, cinematographers like this guy who uh, oh Shelley Johnson who shot the Wolfman and I asked him a lot about how to do night forest exterior you know and so he kind of gave me some advice of how to do certain things one of the things I took away from them was how much it's like smoke and mirrors you know and sometimes like even like even like sometimes like some of the things that you can do have almost no they're not like logical or whatever but they look cool or whatever or there's like tricks to trick your audience and so like that that one frame of the the white was kind of like boom like it kind of sells the the impact in a way that just showing it, wouldn't you know and so i think it's like your audience is feeling that too and and then going to black and then like boom and then you're kind of with the killer again and i always love that stuff that was funny because that was a scene that like when we because we were rushing when we were filming we were probably there at the camp for like i think we had like 13 days of filming and there were like three days that we had off i shot some stuff when he was at the camp but it just never really gelled at all and so like a couple months later it was like october and we shot that part and so you can see a couple of like leaves in the ground that looks I found like the one part of this forest that still had any like like leaves <laughs> and we just went there and we shot it but it was like it was like a couple blocks from my house or whatever same with like um up when warren copper looks out or or out the truck towards like lexi at the beginning right before the title credits thing that i literally went to like uh uh, we found like basically like one tree that still has some leaves on it because it was like november and i was just it was one of those things when you're editing you're like Oh, I totally need that one shot of him just looking out like he's just going to kill everybody, you know. And and so it was just so we basically like parked the truck in front of this one tree. I shot it on like a 35. So that way I didn't see that there was nothing, no other leaves anywhere. <laughs> but it's just stuff like that. I think it's and that's the thing with your first film. It's like you realize because you're going, going, going when you're shooting. You know, I was like directing and operating and DPing and also producing and dealing with all these like chaos behind the scenes. And But we're still trying to shoot our day and and light it. And so there are things that sometimes you just forget to get that shot. And so all the stuff, all the
2: tricks that you brought really made it like that scene I was talking about, really, really make it, I think, interactive for the fans. And speaking of interaction, so there's a couple possible announcements I've seen you make. One um, is recently that you might do a possible possible 3D release of the film which wasn't really intended. And the other one is um it sounds like there's an opportunity to to view this film at the camp where it was shot in Illinois later this year.
0: Yeah, we were going to do it last fall, but I felt like it it didn't really make sense. I wasn't in a place where I I was able to and I think this way like people more people will be able to kind of know about the film and then come see it. You know, it's like it's like you have no emotional attachment to the film if you've never seen it, but then to see it and then be like, "Oh, I want to go to where the camp was." And then And everybody who's been, who's at the camp, they've just been really generous. You know, they're, they're always great with me coming up and shooting pickups or, you know, they're always just really super supportive of us. So that was really great. Yeah. It's just this old Boy Scout camp out by Danville, Illinois. And so, yeah, so this fall we'll do kind of a either outdoor or indoor screening, but I donated this like kind of pretty big, screen to them uh for being cool with us but uh i just think there's something fun about you know you're at the camp and then you're just walking around and it's it's creepy at night too so <laughs> but then the 3d thing it was funny um i don't even know what got me to think about doing a 3d it, i can't even tell you what it was <laughs> just as a gag there was this I, I just started thinking about like yeah that'd be kind of fun and so i i kind of just did this really basic uh uh, 2D to 3D conversion the other day through this um, this app or whatever and then I watched it on my screen and, and I've got like all these 3D glasses and I was like oh my god this is it, it actually kind of worked you know it, which was kind of wild like I never meant it to be 3D at all but I think the way some of the shots are kind of stacked where you have things in the foreground and then the action is back here and then there's even more back there it just kind of worked really well and the craziest scene I think was when Lexi's in the cabin by herself before the killer shows up because you're seeing all all these beats and then that door open right there too behind her you know and so it just kind of worked i was kind of blown away I, I just was laughing the entire time watching it because things just stood out and i was like holy crap like i can't believe half-assed like you know 3d conversion thing <laughs> like kind of worked <laughs>
2: Did, did it work well with with the radio at the end because there's the scene at the end with the radio where where I thought it was like the say anything reference where the radio is held over her head yep oh totally. and then the, the radio gets tossed and then you show where the radio sets I'm doing my best not to not to um do give any spoilers here when I saw that I was like oh that could be a cool 3d shot right there
0: that could be well there's interesting um because there's there's like definitely like you can kind of set your 3d for different um intensities of it too and so I think like some scenes especially like when you get into the nighttime it's there's so much blue that I think we get a little less definition so I think like and then I just watched just kind of compare it I watched the other like the Friday 13th part 3 3D the other night on my projector just to see you know like one like kind of look at it in terms of like okay like what is how does the anaglyph look you know how offset from like the actual image are they you know and I think like especially with anamorphic and how we shot it because it has a softer look than a lot of modern horror films which are like very like crisp image it's like 8k i love like the 80s horror where it's softer you know and so what i'm i felt like it, the anamorphic scenes worked really well with the 3d it just it felt like straight out of the 80s which was cool i, I love that kind of stuff anyway you know just nightmare on elm street 6 freddie's dead you know with the 3d and uh <laughs> jaws 3d you know amityville 3d you know i don't know if you see have you seen amityville 3d Oh yeah. Oh, and then the the demon comes out of the pool at the end and like shoots that guy in the face with the, with flame or whatever. Anyway,
2: I think I think it's actually probably one of the, and I say this in a good way, probably one of the worst 3D movies as far as the 3D and the cheese <laughs> that came out in that era. Jaws and, and uh, Friday the 13th are pretty close, but yeah, the Amityville one was pretty terrible. Yeah,
0: and it was uh, like Tony Robbins who was in like Annie Hall and I just never, he was like so miscast in that film. He's like, oh, what are you talking about? Like, he's just like, you know, I'm too put together and stuff. And anyway, <laughs>
2: I, I gotta go to, uh, to Final Summer, the post-credit scene. Uh, it shows that there's going to be a possible sequel. God, there's something I want to say, but it's complete spoiler. So I won't. Do, do you have intentions to, to make a sequel or did you just throw that in to see if it was going to be successful?
0: Oh, no. <laughs> um, I wanted to, I always, well, I, from the start, I planned it as a trilogy. Basically what I wanted to do was have a, a trilogy that's based on the kind of what I would consider like three stages of PTSD. So the first one is, so this one is basically based around fight or flight is the theme. And then the next one would kind of give more into the unraveling of what's happened in the first one so to go back to like my personal experience when i was with this person um, because so much of it with the gaslighting and then to realize you it's like a a puzzle that you're trying to figure out and you think that you're looking at a two-dimensional puzzle like oh i'm just gonna put these pieces together and then you think you solve it and then you realize you're actually working on one side of this like rubik's cube kind of thing and there's this whole other thing that you never saw before i remember being in some situations where like this person was making me see one thing and then they were making another person see something the complete opposite different thing and it was the most bizarre thing to see that they're gaslighting two people at once it was kind of insane and so when i got out of that situation i went more into this you're trying to understand your reality and you're just trying to figure out what the hell happened and, and what what really happened and so that's why with the sequel i wanted it to be kind of like the theme around chaos and then the final film would kind of come back to the well, kind of go full circle in a way and so Also, like, so with the sequel, you know, I kind of wanted to get away from the camp because there's basically this plan that's happening that night. And it's one part of the plan is happening at the camp and another part is happening in this other place. But it's all happening like in the same night. And so I thought that would be fun because I feel like I've never I haven't really seen that in horror films with the exception of like, you know, like Friday 13, part two and three are kind of like the same day, you know, or whatever. So I thought it'd be fun if like it's the same night because the real villain of this film, I think is so true to what a psychopath or a sociopath would be like where they're not only just doing this one thing but they're basically trying to ensure every single avenue is like set up for them to kind of win you know so that's why I thought it would be kind of fun to go into this same and then then you could have the film kind of intersect with um, the first one at interesting points too like so like the final girl in the second one you actually hear her in the first one and so and then in, in the sequel it would be the opposite side of that conversation so you'd actually be on the other side of what's happening so so I think like basically I'm going to shoot a sizzle reel, um, probably later this summer, where you'll actually see the other side of the of that scene.
2: I'm really glad you said that because the only hang up that I had with this film was when it ended, I was like, from, from a story perspective, I'm like, wait a minute.
0: you know, I, had, I had some
2: unanswered questions. Now I understand is this is just the, the beginning of the story, basically.
0: Not to give it away, but there are more than one... <laughs> You know, and so I think if anything, if you think of it like in terms of... Because to go to the beginning of the film, it's like, well, who is that person, right? Because it wouldn't be the one person because that was five years before this thing or whatever and so it's like well who is that and you know where did they go you know and so that's where I think and, and the interesting thing I think to go to the psychology of this is like you have basically a, a, a burgeoning killer serial killer in training in this one and you might also have a kind of more seasoned killer that you just aren't aware of you know and then you've got kind of this psychopath mastermind kind of thing going on or whatever. So so I just try to think of it in terms of like, you know, obviously, like I, I probably should have thought more about like, oh, what if I never make another movie? <laughs> kind of thing maybe i should not leave anything to like you know too open-ended or whatever you know but uh,
2: now you have to because now now you have
0: (laughs) oh no i just think um part of it is like i i feel because we were so there was so much stress going into making this movie and i learned so much and i made so many mistakes on it i think what i really want to do is i kind of want to take all of the lessons i learned from the first one and go into the second one and really kind of really hit it you you know there's just so many things that you learn when you're making your first film like i didn't realize i was making an action movie you know because you, you know, think about that all of a sudden. Oh, there's these stunt sequences and chase sequences, and it is very much like action oriented. Oh, wow. Like, we really need to think about stunt choreography and all these kinds of things. And so, there were just pieces of the puzzle that, or even like the first, you know, because we, our schedule was kind of like we would do, I think we had like two days of eight to eight, and then we went to splits of like two to two. And then the rest of it, we were shooting like six to six in the morning. That first like split night when we we're actually getting into the night lighting, that was kind of like the biggest reality check, I think, for everybody because of how ambitious our, the film, like the scale of it was with all of our night lighting and and stuff i think we were all like wow this is way more intense than we thought it was going to be and so that was helpful so i think like now knowing those lessons and now seeing how like oh it's really an ensemble film is pretty tough or all the moving pieces so that's kind of where i would love to take the lessons from this first one really hit the ground with the second one and then even go into like horror conventions and stuff and understanding horror fans more and what they want to see it's like yeah i need to put more blood in i need to bring more of that stuff so there's lots of stuff i would love to do differently
2: I was going to ask if, um, and this isn't a dig, it's just a legitimate question, but I was going to ask if, because the final summer does not have a lot of blood and guts. And I didn't know if that was a, a budgetary thing, if that was a, an artistic choice
0: or time constraint. I think it depends. I think sometimes it was timing. I think that there were days when we were just like rushing, 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 you know, the, some, some things just get lost in the fold. Sometimes like, it's like they'd be running to set with the blood while we were shooting it because I would be like, we got to go now. Like we just don't have time to mess around or whatever. And so I think that was where, you know, we were just trying to get so much done in a little bit of time. But then also sometimes there are some scenes where like the violence that's happening, I wanted to show it from the point of view of as an audience, like I think like you you can't ignore what's happening. Like there's a scene where this character kills this other character and then instantly and, and the other character sees this happen and, th- and they're like running away and instantly the character turns around and try to gaslights to them. Like he's the killer, he's the killer kind of thing. And I wanted to shoot that in a wide because I wanted the audience to see how crazy that actually is. So it wasn't like the violence of that scene was the shock. It was almost like what was coming next was even more important. You know, like when the one dude gets killed it's like if you show that like on a wide, it feels very real versus cutting in and showing the violence, I think, feels a little more corny and so it was kind of going for so that's why i think like for that scene at least it wasn't as important to show the insert shots of blood and stuff it was more important to show what was coming next after that because that's i think because when we shot that on the set everybody was like ooh, like it even the the kill was like because people are watching on monitor like oh that's awesome but then when he turns around and he's running towards her and he's like he's the killer he's the killer that's when everybody was like ooh, like that's disturbing you know
2: (laughs) Well and the wide shots almost give it more of a documentary. Not that this is like a found footage film at all, but you know, in today's world you see so many, so much wide shot cell phone footage of, you know, brutality or, you know, whatever terrible you know thing is going on. So yeah, it gave it a little level of reality.
0: But yeah, those those are things where I think it's just, you know, there, there's always going to be like limitations, especially for like low, ours with basically like no budget, you know? <laughs> and so I think it's like, you got to do what you can to, again, some of these films, it's like, you're kind of just watching a glorified geek show. It's like, if you saw that new Guillermo del Toro uh, film, I forget the name of it with uh, Bradley Cooper, where he's like working at the carnival and they had to talk about like, the geek show. N-
2: Nightmare Alley. Yeah. We were just talking about that last episode. I brought it up, you yeah. know?
0: And I kind of feel like sometimes some horror films kind of go to that level where like you're, it's not really about it's you're just watching a geek show. You're not really watching um, characters or a story so much. So anyway.
2: Um, we were talking about post-credits. Is there going to be a sequel, uh, which led us down that avenue? But I want to get back to the credits just for a couple questions. And one is, if you don't mind, I'm curious. It says, in memory of David Adams. I'm just curious who David Adams is.
0: Doing this music documentary about the Champagne Urbana music scene. And David Adams was this lead of was the lead singer of this um, kind of new wave punk band out of champagne called Screams. I got to know him as I was doing the documentary. So Screams was kind of like this amazing and incredible band out of champagne, kind of like cheap trick in a way or whatever. But they had this like incredible story. And, you know, they opened for uh, Van Halen on their first ever like US tour. And back then the opening bands were notorious for like not, you know, like they give them like two songs, maybe Van Halen would never want to be like shown up or whatever, you know. And so Screams were a really great band and they would go out there and they would be winning over the opening, you know, the opening act should be crappy basically to make Van Halen look better. (laughs) And so they would go out every night and they would just be killing it, you know, and, and it just, and unfortunately, I think they got signed to the wrong label. They went to the UK for this like headlining their first ever tour and the label basically fell apart. So this guy uh, who was an Ariel Speedwagon at the time um, called him up. He's, he was like their manager. He's like, hey, boys, like uh, have your have a good show tonight because it's the last one of the tour label folded. You guys got to come home. And so it it was just one of those bands where like they were kind of on the rise and then they just fell apart and they could never really recover because it wasn't like now with social media where that audience that they built would probably be there for them. And so it was just kind of the end of it. And I met David through that and he was just like a... Kind of like talking to like something like just this legend or whatever that no one knows or whatever, you know. And so I, he just had like the biggest heart, super sweet guy. And I got him to kind of get back and he started. You know, we did a couple shows like he was playing in champagne again so it's just cool to see people appreciate that band and him again and plus I think in terms of like the name screams I go right to like wes Cravens scream and I thought that was a cool yeah, he died over covid and um yeah it was just kind of it was just it was it was sad because I, I I just liked him a lot and I just thought he was like the coolest guy and so I wanted to kind of in memory of, of his his thing and uh, just like the fun connection to the name and the and, and horror and stuff you
2: know what's crazy is I've got and I'm so as you're telling me this, story i'm scrolling through my playlist here but i've got a youtube music playlist for myself and there's this uh i I got to. have to look into it, but there's this band on here, Scream. It's from Rare and Obscure Metal Archives. It's just random song that I came across that I loved. I mean, I'll have to like figure out how to send this to you to see if it's the same band because I, I love this song.
0: And, they, and so all the all of the music in the film is all bands from Champagne too. So like there's a band called Last Gentleman you hear during like the first pool sequence, and then the second pool sequence at night is the Elvis Brothers. Um, they're like this insanely great band later on. So it's like Scream's broke up, and then Elvis Brothers kind of came out of that like the drummer Brad Elvis, who now plays in the band called The Romantics. like they had that song like, you know, What I Like About You and Talking In Your Sleep and stuff. And he's a great dude. Like probably like the greatest Keith Moon drummer alive today. You know, like he's just a, a monster. And then um, the song that plays during the one sequence that was like my old band, The Blackouts. And so uh, it just kind of worked out. And then the the song at the end of the credits was uh, my friend Jeff, who plays in the Smashing Pumpkins. We did a music video for them. And so that was the song. Because I wanted to have that, the thing I love about 80 slashers is they have that if they have that iconic song at the end I called a to taste a part of you
2: then her like a fool and burn my tongue to sue This sh-
0: like Alice Cooper's Man Behind the B- Mask or Dawkins' Dream Warrior. And so I wanted something that captured that same kind of thing. We were going to do um, uh, Pat Benatar's, uh, uh, was it uh, something with the shadows or something?
2: Brian, you're the karaoke artist. What song? Sing it.
0: Well, I don't know no karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shadows of the Night. That's right. Running with the shadows of the night. We're running with the shadows of Take my hand, it'll be alright. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight, they'll come true. Because I felt like it's such a, I wanted to have an anthem for the final girl. When you go through that stuff and you come out the other side, it's like, it's such a triumph in a way. What about you guys? I talk all the time. What a, what kind of, what draws you to slasher movies?
2: Uh, so, I mean, I'm going to speak for Brian because he's just kind of like looking at me like, I didn't know I was going to get asked a question. But so Brian loves trash cinema and I do too. Um, but but he tends to be more of a fan of trash cinema, you know, gore, blood, boobs, Joe. He, he was raised a Joe Bob guy. <laughs> I, I always look for a story. Um, story drives me and everything. And I love all that other stuff, too. But I'm, I'm kind of a story-driven guy.
1: Yeah, when you were talking about Friday the 13th, part five, I'm like, that's my favorite oh, yeah. one. <laughs> I love that one the most. Like, I feel like there's story there, though, that's just they fill it with so much trash that you miss the story. I mean, it's one of the ones that after that original line, that's the way it would progress is someone would fake being Jason Voorhees and go on this killing spree because of this trauma. And then it gets really bad. I mean six is good, but then it gets really weird with, you know, the zombie Jason and
0: that was funny. I had, like, a pitch for, like, a Friday the 13th, like, reboot or whatever. But I wanted to do, because I feel like like when they do these reboots and stuff, they don't do them, like, the way that the fans would appreciate them, I feel. Because I feel like it's, like, if you're going to do it, an actual, legitimate, like, real Friday the 13th, I'd be, like, make it about Tom Matthews' this character, except he's older now, right? And it's, like, he's just the sheriff for those parts. But then you have, like, a copycat killer who's, like, coming around doing that stuff again, you know. Because I think that would be the most, like, if you're going to do a little bit more of a grounded Friday the 13th, Versus just this unstoppable dude, and the you, but that's okay. They're never going to do that, so I don't even worry about that. <laughs> They're sort of doing something like that with Never Hike Alone stuff, but it's not uh,
2: it's not a real real kid. It's still Jason, and so yeah, you although those are shot well, and, and I enjoy watching them. You're kind of you're kind of like okay, it's you're portraying Tommy is old now. Tom Matthews is aged. Like, how the hell is Jason not rotted and falling apart yet? You know, just <laughs> you have to suspend that you know disbelief. But
0: no, I just I love slashers too. I think it's just. There's just something fun about them. I think the stories are always, it's funny how simple the story is, but it's always fun. I don't know. (laughs) Even bad smashers are fun.
1: Yeah, they bust my balls all the time because I'm like, I like part two better. And they're like, just because it has a two on it. And I'm like, well, no, but I feel like the story has had time to maybe cook and simmer. And I mean, Tex Chainsaw Massacre 2, I love more than one just because it's funner and campier. Um, And Halloween 2, I like better. And I'm weird like that, I guess. Yeah, I like Final Summer 2 better than Part 1 just because. Me too.
2: (laughs) You like like the never-ending story Part 2 just because it's Part 2, even though it's a never-ending story, so I can't have a Part 2. It's, you know, what the
0: hell? I think they did have Never Ending Story Part 2, right? Wasn't Jack They did. Jack Black was in that one too, I think, or something. Oh, gosh, I don't know. Or was he in Part 3? I don't know, yeah. There's a Part 3? Yeah, I think there's a Part 3 too, yeah. No. It's never-ending, Clint. Never stops. I know.
2: One last thing I wanted to talk about with Final Summer with uh, with the credits is um, in, in the thank yous section, you mentioned, and these names jumped out to me, and so uh, you mentioned Neil Affleck talking about slashers, talking about our, one of my favorite slashers, my bloody Valentine, Tom Atkins and Billy Corgan. So I was just curious if they had some sort of involvement in the film or if that was just you thanking them for their influence like on you personally.
0: No, uh, Neil Affleck was originally going to be a Warren Copper in the film. Um, and so he signed on, but unfortunately due to COVID and, you know, and then there was like a H1 visa situation at the time. So I think it just ended up being where it was too difficult. And I think, just because COVID was such a thing still it was just better to not risk it and so so he went away but he was just a great person to talk to like we talked a lot he came and talked to uh over zoom to like the workshop and he talked all about you know working on my ability of valentine like what that that shoot was like um you know he talked about Peter Cowper too who he had a dance background as well and so Peter Cowper is under that mask and and he used that similar physicality which I was really in- inspired by and then yeah and then just you know he was just a great guy to talk to and 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 just really kind of giving of his time to us. And so I think... And then he had interesting kind of suggestions. Um, And then, yeah, Tom Atkins was just... You know, appreciated that he was... He lent his image to the film. Um, And then Billy Corgan, I did a bunch of stuff with... uh, You know, like from night dreamer i kind of over COVID, i did a lot of stuff with uh, the smashing pumpkins too so i shot oh like some uh, uh performance video stuff that ended up on like the tonight show and uh, i have worked with billy Corgan a couple times um for like we did like an iHeartRadio radio show and then i was shooting some stuff for him for the his uh wrestling stuff and it was cool and so he was really gracious and gave us uh, the the gift shirt Cause that, that album came out in 91 too. And so I thought it'd be cool to kind of have that little nod to a band that I really uh, loved a lot. And so, yeah, he was really cool. Um, It's kind of surreal. You know, they always say like, don't work with your heroes, you know, (laughs) but <laughs> you know, uh, it was just cool to, you know, everybody's people are just people, you know. And, and then um, actually Tom McLaughlin was a, a, another one that was really cool with me, too. So I reached out to him early on just because I liked his uh, film One Dark Night. Classic. Yeah. The flashback was going to be shot at night. And so they're going to come out of the theater and you're going to see on the marquee, it would say One Dark Night. But because the theater fell through and then by the time we shot it and then it was just like we just went to this one theater, but we couldn't show the marquee because we just end t- so it just ended up not being in the film but, but he was really gracious and then he he sent me a really awesome email like right before we went into uh popcorn frights or whatever just just a cool really heartfelt email about how this is like your film is like at, at this point is it, no longer yours it's everyone else's and so you're gonna have all these opinions and and it, and it was just kind of a beautiful thing because you know i think like the funniest thing is like when you make a film it's such a it's such a miracle that a film is ever made <laughs> and ever completed you know and so I think like you get to that moment and it's like, it's almost like it's so insane that you, you finished it and you're here now. And then you, every now and then you got someone tapping your shoulder and you're like, huh? And then they like have a, a film review or, a, or they're a critic or something. You're like, huh? What? You know? <laughs> and so I think the stuff that he said to me was really cool. And uh, I don't know. I just think like, it's, it's great to when filmmakers are cool in that way. Cause I've met other people who are kind of like, you know, full of themselves and egos and all this kind of stuff. And they think they are better than you or whatever. And it's like, that's cool. But, you know, we're always one movie away from making a really crappy movie. (laughs) so I think there's no reason not to just just be we're all in this together you know kind of thing because even like going to these festivals you can see you can kind of see the next wave forming of different filmmakers and different waves coming up you know and so like right now you've got like Damien Leone and all this stuff and it's like that's this wave that's happening right now and they're kicking the doors open for other horror filmmakers you know to kind of so it's exciting and I think giving them credit like giving credit to Damien who he's what he spent like 16 years on developing Terrifier into Terrifier 2 and all success he has now. So it's awesome to see that hard work payoff where when I was at AFM, I talked to distributors and they're like, oh, we're looking for the next Terrifier, too. I'm like, yeah, well, like, good luck. You're looking for a guy who's been working 16 years on this thing. You know, you're not going to find that. It's an anomaly. So I think that's where I feel like paying respect to those people that came first and opened the doors for the next wave to come. Maybe it's just because I came from indie music, too. I don't know. <laughs> like where you're all playing the same bill and you're all, you're all trying to blow each other off the stage, but you're all there together, you know, so it's.
2: We've been talking about that on the show quite a bit lately that it seems to us, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but that um, trend is kind of going more towards indie films and fresh stories. Like uh, earlier, you talked about Skin and Marink. And I think, Brian, you had said that made like $800,000 off a $15,000 budget. So, I mean, when you want to talk numbers, that just shows the success. And, you know, I had a limited release and a handful of theaters.
0: I think it made like $3 million. It was, I think $3 million was the last time. And then, you know... I think for me, I, I'm like at the Marvel fatigue, you know. I don't know. I, I miss the 90s when the variety of the 90s is even more there now, but it's just all on streaming. But I'm always going to love going to a movie theater. And I think that's the thing. To me, it's like living in a small town, you got like that single screen theater. Or like when we played a drive-in, oh, that was such a blast, you know. And it's I just love the experience of sitting in an audience full of people. Like they showed uh, uh, the Lost Boys at the virginia in in town and i went to go see it and everybody's laughing and and it's just great you know there's nothing nothing touches that i think because then what are you gonna do when you're scrolling through netflix 45 minutes later you finally decided on a film you're half interested in and you're sitting there the whole time on your phone screen that's nothing you know it's not it's not real and plus i think like If I watch a movie on my projector downstairs, I'm paying attention to all these details of the filmmaking and and the lighting and the the editing and stuff. You just don't get that from streaming soapbox.
2: (laughs) I, I went to see Scream 6 last night. And um, I, I'm a credit watcher anyway, but I had heard, hey, stick around for the post-credit scene, which I you know, I would have anyway. But so myself, my two daughters, and then the movie ends and everybody, and it was about a half full theater. Everybody leaves except there was another group of two or three people. And we're just sitting there watching the credits. And then the, the post-credit scene hits, which I'm not going to do any spoiler alerts because the movie just came out. But it was quick and it was kind of humorous. And so we had that little experience you're talking about. Even in that empty theater, two groups of people just started laughing I looked over at them. I don't know who the hell they are. You know, I was just like, I said, I don't even feel cheated. That was funny. You know, and we laughed. Went about our days. So
0: yeah, I tell you, man, it's funny because like I-, I saw this thing a, a while ago. I-, I was looking at them, um, news things from the early 80s and it was like they went to like a a theater in Chicago and it was for like the the opening night premiere of uh, Empire Strikes Back and then they went again to this other place in like South Carolina and it was like the opening day of like Return of the Jedi and I go back to even like waiting in line for concert tickets you know like like there'd be like that midnight sale like I was kind of bummed that Scream didn't have a midnight screening because I remember like the original Scream they had a midnight screening in 96 and I like went there for that and I was like and it's just like there's an energy that you have where you're all there together and people you don't even know you're lying. you're like talking to people oh man da, 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 da. you know it's just like a community thing which i love and like now i feel like my favorite thing is going to horror cons and like talking with you guys about seeing a sign that says like strode realty or something you know <laughs> and laughing about that because it's like we all get it you know and it's like horror fans are like metal fans that I remember like fighting over what's the best franchise is fighting over if like Megadeth or Metallica is like a cooler band, you know, like, it's just, it's like continuing that vibe and that community. So I I love it, you know, and I think I think the theatrical experience is part of that because it's like, you got to be, you know, it always is a community and that's the best place to watch as a community.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite movies from this last year that I saw was a, we have a little theater here. That's over a hundred years old. The Orpheum theater. They'll show older stuff. Um, They get a sponsor. So the tickets are free and uh, they showed the Wolfman on a Friday night. It's about half full theater. I mean, it's a pretty good sized theater. We have Knox college here, which is a liberal arts college. So it's about half older people and half Knox students and every, time the wolf man would howl all the knock <laughs> students would have everybody just laughing and you know you're having popcorn and you know it's just fun uh, they show rocky horror and i i was one of the judges for the costume contest so i'm just like in the front row just taking everything in and it's
0: i mean i remember going to see like total recall and and like these high schoolers were like just commenting on all the film and any my, of my friends we would still like use their lines as like a line from the movie even though they weren't you know, they were just stuff they said. So, so I feel like that's just that's the thing, you know. And I, I think going back to this film, even it's like I wanted to have a film that could be fun to watch, you know, versus so like having a roller coaster ride where you're you're screwing with your audience. Like, there's literally one. When we, we shot the scene in the cabin where like the door behind Lexi is open, I remember saying to the crew, I said, What do you think is gonna drive the audience more nuts? It's like if you close the door or leave it open. And we were like, I think leaving it open is gonna make everybody go nuts. Cause then you're watching, you're like, Go out the door. Like yeah, <laughs> it's right there. And so I love like the ability to mess with the audience because I feel like that's the most fun. I could talk about this all day.
1: Yeah, I think one of the best points of this movie is it will be an opening for younger people to get into horror because there's not a lot of blood. There's no nudity. This will be a gateway movie. You know, if you get distribution and stuff, a gateway movie for people to get into horror and welcome that next wave of fans.
0: That is literally verbatim what I told our distributor. I just, (laughs) so that's really cool to hear you say that too, because that's kind of how I felt, you know? And, And the funny enough, we did, we did that drive-in premiere opposite Halloween Ends, and then we did four days at a local like like multiplex in Champagne, and and I saw like younger kids there too, which was to me I'm like like I have kids, I'm like I don't know if you want to see the movie, but I do feel like it's 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 not gory, you know, and there's no nudity, so it just has a lot of f bombs, and then the the scares and intensity, but I think yeah, it is kind of like a gateway for the younger audience. And then I go back to the 80s. Like I'm like eight seeing posters for Friday the 13th going like, wow, I mean, I want to see that thing, you know? So I think it's like they definitely have an appeal. And now like my son who's in like fifth grade, his buddies are like, oh man, final summer, you know, <laughs> and so I think it's just there. You know, that's that was the thing we when I talked with Creepy Duck, who made our poster, we talked a lot about what is it about these films? Why is there this enduring appeal for slasher films? And I'm like I kept going back to the, the visual, the poster, what they make you feel. You know, it's like sometimes the movie that's in your head of Friday thirteenth, part seven is better than the actual movie. When you see it, you're like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when that TV is kind of jankily floating through the air toward her, you know, and all that. Yeah, I think you're right about the the gateway, the gateway slasher. And then the second one I'm excited because I feel like I'm gonna be much more mean. <laughs> So the audience will grow with the second one, because I know that's the one thing I'm like, I'm going to be more mean with this guy, you know, in the second one, because it's it's a different vibe. It's a different killer, kind of in a sense. But uh, yeah, he's pissed off. He's got to do this crap. <laughs>
1: so That'll be my four year old's favorite. I have a four year old that loves Godzilla and scary movies. And, you know, at that age, you got to kind of steer them in certain directions to what they can watch. But one day we're sitting on the couch and she comes around the corner with a Michael Myers mask on and a little knife, put a reel together and. And it's playing the Halloween music.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Nah, that's cool, man. She
1: stabbed you while you were on a ladder, didn't she? And almost made you fall. Changed the light bulb. And I, <laughs> she comes and stabs me in the leg. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to make me fall off of here.
0: Now, my, my son was the Mason character in the film. So, like, when you see on the. So, that was my son. And it was kind of wild because he's very, a guy of ADD. And so, I feel he's a lot like me. And I was kind of blown away. I've never seen him that still in my life. <laughs> And so it was kind of wild. but i remember i was I was trying to talk through that scene and i I, I remember going to touch his hair and I just started to like tear up and get really emotional i I didn't even you know I mean obviously like what the scene is about is pretty heavy, but i it was funny because i I didn't think I was going to do that. And I did that. And I think that just instantly got all the actors to be like in that right headspace, which was great. Cause I was like, we're going to go over here. And you, and I had to, I couldn't even say anything. I'm like, all right. And I just walked away (laughs) and then we like, all right, action, you know, and they did it and it was great. But yeah, Finn was awesome, man. But my kids saw me have a total meltdown. Cause like, uh, they took this crane to a wrong location. And so we ended up having never using a crane in the film. And I, I walked into like the, the, uh, the production office and I just started swearing and yelling about how like the crane was in this wrong place and then i look over and see all like my kids standing there i'm like whoops <laughs> I'm like okay dad how's it going i'm like ah, i gotta go I'm like, yeah, good good to see you <laughs> it was a little stressful
2: and you were talking a little bit about distribution you said it's probably going to be streaming later this summer can, can we talk about where um where it's going to be seen like what's what's going on with a wide release
0: so i signed distribution back in december and then they went to uh Ale, uh, it's a east european film market recently and so then they connected with another uh, distributor out of the uk and so they are planning for like kind of like a wide summer release through streaming um and then they've got lots of uh oh just different platforms like shutter and stuff like that too so like i've worked on a couple films on shutter now so i'm hoping that they get out there um so i think all that stuff is coming right now is like it's the film is literally out to the uh, Q- qc right now so i think we're just kind of like getting that stuff uh, finalized and then i think we'll plan for like a, a summer release so it's it's exciting um I, I kind of can't believe it. I'm, I'm excited for people to finally see it because I just wanted to get it out of my head you know and have other people see it and I think uh, I think all this time though it's been kind of fun in a way to every single film festival that we went to I would take the film back and I would like recut it some more you know so like I you know because it's like you're watching it with an audience and you're like okay that needs to go this needs to hit this is missing I need to put that thing in there. and so it, I feel like it kind of helped us to kind of get it to a better place you know so I feel like now where the film is at I feel like much better than in the fall when it came out it was it was much more of a work in progress and really rough cut in a way and so i think now it's just allowed that extra time plus i think it's kind of helped us to build this slow burn following you know people it's starting to get on people's radar and so i just go back to like all those 80s like regional slasher films like final exam or uh you know blood rage or something like that where it's like they build these cult followings you know and uh Versus like you know, a big studio film like Friday thirteenth that has all that money behind it.
1: Blood Rage. Blood Rage, Brian. He's speaking your language. I love Blood Rage. He's the freaking best. Yeah, I love Blood Rage. <laughs> you talk about a regional cult following, and that works into... you ever seen a movie called Dead Kids?
0: No, no. It's
1: called Strange Behavior in the United States.
0: Mm, I gotta check that out.
1: So it's a it's a nineteen eighty one slasher. It's filmed in New Zealand. Oh wow. It's set in Galesburg, Illinois, the town I live in. So really.
0: In 1981, that's strange. Oh, cool! I gotta check that out.
1: Yeah, they shot it in New Zealand, but it's set here in
0: Illinois. Wow, <laughs> gotta check that out. Well, that reminds me of like what's the other New Zealand one? Um, uh, uh, Dead Alive, right? Would you ever seen that one at all? That was a good one too. With, oh, absolutely. Uh, with uh, the was it? I kick ass for the Lord, you know. <laughs>
2: I'm going to uh, I'm going to meet Lionel at a convention here next weekend, which is why which is why you guys uh, rearrange your schedule for me. So and then Brian, so Brian brought it up. Uh, we talk about it a lot, but I don't know if you know John, but so Brian has arranged, has been working with Severin to have Dead Kids shown at the Orpheum in Galesburg, where he lives, where that movie is set at. So that's gonna be really cool.
0: That sounds awesome. Yeah, Severin, I really love just how they. Yeah, just everything about what Severin's doing is great in terms of like getting these these kind of cult films back out there, and uh, it's really. They just did one recently at Normal Theater in uh, Bloomington, Normal. I forget what this show was.
1: I think they showed a Psycho Ape and a Day of the beasts, I think maybe
0: that's right. I don't know. Have you seen Death Screams at all? I'm kind of in this Arrow videos kick or whatever lately. But uh, that
2: name rings a bell.
0: Death Screams is good. It was um, uh, David Nelson, who was the son of Ozzy and Harriet Nelson, and he did a, a regional slasher. It was shot in, I think, South Carolina in the '80s. There's another one that was kind of like wonky, but really good. And then another one I need to get is uh, Edge of the Axe. If you've seen that one, it was it was like a Spanish-U.S. Uh, 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 co-production, um, but they shot it out in like like uh, Northern California in the '80s, and it was kind of interesting. Like with like the, the chat, like the early internet chat room stuff where like he's chatting with the girl online and stuff.
1: I actually I own edge of the axe from arrow video and then i watched it on stream, and i found it because you couldn't find it for the longest time but now you can stream it
0: it's got some cool parts it's a little slow but i like the ki- the killer is interesting enough because i think they it's it goes in a i feel like sometimes like some of these horror films like they they do the psychology well but they have to get they get hemmed into that like the 80s horror producer thing right where it's like you seen like a sound night deadly night right and that was like a really great exploration of like what trauma would do to a kid if they never had any positive interventions so like everything that went wrong for them ever even like joker like, I feel like the new Joker is the same way. We're like, you know, a kid raised by this narcissist. Every just once love, nothing ever goes right for them. And so they become this thing. But then with Sound Night Deadly, I was like, oh, this is so good. And there was like this one scene where like this girl was like on the pool table in the basement of the house. And I'm like, obviously, this is like... A-
1: Linnea Quigley.
0: And then it's like the producer was like, we need like some boobs in this film or something. And so they, I felt like it just came out of nowhere, you know, but it's like, all right, whatever. But I know it's the 80s. So, you know, <laughs> that was Linnea Quickly then? yeah oh wow okay
2: yeah she gets impaled on the antlers there
0: right yeah 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 Yeah.
2: even though you got a wide release coming up this summer you're still planning on
0: uh uh, hitting the convention scene and stuff right yeah and then i'm looking to do like kind of like a limited run of uh, drive-ins too because we just had such a blast at at our drive-in premiere so i wanted to do more
2: this episode comes out april 2nd is there anything around or after that off top your head where you want to plug where you're going to be at with final summer
0: yeah, we'll be at uh, Panic Fest, uh, April 13th through the 23rd. Um, another movie that I worked on is also premiering at Panic Fest. That's a, called Black Mold, with uh, directed by John Pata, who is kind of from that like uh, Kansas City scene, like um, uh, Jill Gavarjan, who did The Stylist. Um, so they're, they're a really cool uh, group of filmmakers. But Black Mold's really fun. We actually shot that uh, in Rantoul. It's a lot of... Uh, Yeah, some of the crew that worked in the final summer worked on that one. I worked on, um, I was second AC on Black Mold. And uh, yeah, it was just a great, great time. But no, uh, Panic Fest, I I love that that film festival. I think it's just a really cool, kind of has like an indie rock, indie punk rock kind of spirit to it. So yeah, I'm excited to have our film there. So that was one that I think that's going to be announced in Fangoria like early this week and then yeah and then hopefully we'll get into this uh, festival in uh, Seattle at the end of April a panic fest for sure
2: still hitting it hard and where can people stay updated with everything final summer and with you John I know you're on Facebook and Instagram
0: yeah so I think uh, final summer movie on Instagram is probably where I'm most active and then final summer movie on Facebook and then we have a TikTok final summer movie yeah and I pretty I kind of respond to everybody that kind of emails or connects with us so uh, that's kind of like the best way to get a hold To me, or um, info at finalsummermovies.com is our email. But we're trying to just work on a lot of things because I think that the the end goal really is to, to be able to kind of build an audience to where we can do a part two and I'm excited because right now I'm already building locations for that I mean like the former Air Force base in Rantoul is probably what will shoot a lot of the part two and there's like some of the things I want to do for it I think I'm just I'm so excited about because the locations are so cool they're like perfect for horror movies and uh, it's all kind of like like I tend to write to locations so like for the first one I went to the camp and I was like oh this is cool and that's cool and we gotta use this and so I've been going to Rantoul a lot and just kind of checking out different places like oh I gotta use this I gotta use that and then hopefully you know maybe we will get like. Corey Feldman in the mix in part two. (laughs) bill mosley i'd love to have him uh he, he was actually at day of the dead this is so funny we were, he was at day of the dead in atlanta and i was gonna talk to him about a role in our film because he's kind of from chicago area too and he was at our table and he was looking at our poster and i was like walking up I'm like this is totally perfect i'm gonna go talk to bill mosley now and just get it on his radar you know because he just seemed like a cool guy and one of my friends was like you gotta talk to He'd be great for your film but i'm so intimidated talking to him because all i can think of is like otis you know for, or like you know when he was on like devil's rejects i mean just he just intimidated the crap out of me you know but he was there at our table i'm like oh i'm gonna go talk to him this is great and i walk up and i notice this other dude is like talking his ear off okay so every time i try to say like hey you know hey dude what's up man we're at, like we're actually from champagne you're from chicago areas we're like local to you you know Kind of. every time i tried to open my mouth this guy kept cutting me off and they <laughs> And he finally, he just like threw his phone at me. He's like, can you take a selfie of us? I'm like, okay. So then I took the selfie of Bill and him and then Bill just kind of split. And I I didn't want to like bother him because I felt like he was like, you got away from like super fans. So I didn't want to track him down and be like, hey dude, you know? So I just started laughing at the fact that like, <laughs> there was my one opportunity to talk to him. And then like, he just went away. <laughs> so <laughs> So the guy was like, Why are you laughing? I'm like, Oh, that was the guy I was gonna talk to you for part two. And he's like he like looked at me like, what are, what are you talking about? And I like pointed at our poster. He's like, Oh <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you know, what do you you know, what are you gonna do? So that's totally weird. blocked. Yeah, I know, total cock block moment. <laughs> that's okay you know like i feel like everything happens in time and sometimes just things don't work out and that's how it goes everybody
2: we have been talking to writer producer director cinematographer 17 other film credit hat wearer an obvious obvious fan very personal guy i'm glad that i met john Eisberg last october in scarefest in kentucky Oh, thank you john thanks for coming on and um and talking to us about your film final summer
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you guys.
2: Brian, I got a question for you real quick though. Did you catch in the beginning of final summer when these killings all started, did you catch what year it was, Brian?
0: What year
1: it was in the killings?
2: When when final summer began and it was 86 and they were talking about when everything started, did you catch what year it was? Was it 86? No, 1978. We joke a lot about 1978. That's when us and our other co-host was born. So Nice. uh, Yeah. So if you listen to this show everything bad started in 78 including the i like a spooky horror podcast um so if you listen to the show you know what we're talking about and if you listen to this show you should probably listen to the other shows on our podcast network the pfpn so let's hear from them
0: you're listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment
1: So now that we've heard from our podcast network, the PFPN, Clint, is there a question?
2: Well, you know what? This is the, uh, the, no, there's not. Nobody loves us. This is the second recording in a row where we have not had a question. And that makes me really sad. So I have a question again to the audience. Anybody who's listening, let us know how we solicit some questions from you. Maybe we're not reaching uh, reaching you. I know everybody's got busy lives, but we would love to just answer weird, quirky little questions. You could ask me what color underwear I wear on Thursdays, and we will answer it. Obviously, you know horror questions are kind of more tailored for the show, although that, that's kind of scary what color underwear I'm wearing on whatever day I said. So
1: It'd be scarier if they said, Clint, why didn't you wear your brown underwear on Thursday? <laughs> because I...
2: I made them brown on Wednesday. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, go ahead. We, we don't have a question. So
1: what the hell? What are we up to? You up to anything? Oh, there's the season is
2: here, my friend. But let's see. So again, since we're recording this episode quite a bit before it comes out, this comes out April 2nd, right? Yeah, this episode comes out April 2nd. So getting ready for you assholes to come up and see me. Yeah, because um, well, basically, two weeks after this episode airs, you and Jason are going to be invading my home and trying to steal my collectibles.
1: I won't steal anything. I don't have any room. Jason's
2: going to like open stuff, and then or I am going to walk in the room and he's going to have his finger right by going, "I am not touching it. I am not touching it. I am not touching it." Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, by by the time this episode airs, it's going to be really pushing to restock whatever um, I've sold at Creature Feature Weekend and restock for Motor City Legacy.
1: So, yeah, other than coming to see you, well, that'll be what two weeks after you said this episode airs. The Spooky Boils will be at a Motor City Legacy, you know, hanging out, selling Ink Mares t shirts. Someone's got you. Yeah. Meeting the tar man, getting my poster signed. So, I got to get that down and get it rolled up so I could take it to Michigan with me. Be my birthday coming up that week, um, the same week as a Motor City Legacy. I mean, Tiffany's birthday is coming up. So, we're going to do a Brazilian steakhouse. You ever been to one of them? No. Not really horror, but kind of horror. So they cook all the food and meat on big spigots. And then they carry it around your table and they slice off what you want on your plate. Kind of, It's kind of cool. I mean, it's something we want to do for our birthday. And then we're going to go see Scream Sick. Hopefully by the time you hear this, I'm doing a guest spot in the coming week on a podcast. Don and Ellie's podcast where you discuss the top ten, whatever the theme is. The theme is... Cannibal movies, my top 10 cannibal movies. And I've watched some that are like brand new and have snuck into my top five should be an interesting episode. But yeah, that's all I have going on.
2: Yeah, it's funny. You brought up restaurants um, a few days ago. This woman I know sent me uh, a link on Facebook Messenger, and it was just to uh, a haunted or horror-themed restaurant in Ohio, and that's all there was. And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh yeah, cool. I've heard about it. And then so I sent her a message back, and I'm like, are you are you asking me out on a date? Shot down hard. She just immediately said, she just said, nope, I just thought you might be interested in this. Wah, wah, wah. But yeah, I might I have might to check that out on my way to uh pennsylvania here
1: that'd be fun to
2: go do that but
1: yeah we have a little horror themed restaurant in the quad city it's called igor's bistro mostly older horror stuff you know the universal monsters and all that but it's cool i think it's cool well now that you've heard what we're up to don't forget to check us out on our socials i like it spooky horror podcast on facebook twitter instagram youtube and take care of yourself bye bye
2: make sure everybody uh harasses jason on social media for not being a part of this episode (laughs) Hey,
0: what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?